guys. You're listening to Mama Knows Podcast with your host, Nina Cavajola, aka Balconina. Join in weekly as she walks alongside you to navigate topics around motherhood, mental health, self-love, and relationships. The good, bad, and funny. Hi, I'm Nina, and I am parenting after trauma, aka intergenerational trauma, childhood trauma, all the traumas. And you know, we talked about trauma before in the podcast, episode number three, and there are big T's and little T's. A lot of us, most of us probably have little traumas, and we suppress those memories. Anyways, I'm an immigrant, a refugee of war, came to the U.S. in 1998. I talk about this in episode one, but today I'm talking to my friend Selma, who's a psychotherapist. Her handle on Instagram is Balkan Mama Therapy, and she's incredible. We are diving in deep into intergenerational trauma, and I love her for this. I love how brave she is to talk about these things, and I think you guys are going to love this episode. So excited to have you here today, Selma. I have been dying to talk to you since I met you. We have like literally identical life stories. And you're only what, like one or two years older than me. You're a mom of two. You're a psychotherapist. And today you're joining me to talk about intergenerational trauma and how it affects us in motherhood. And I feel like you are the perfect person to talk about this because you have intergenerational trauma that's been passed on because you come from a country of war and so do I. So this is going to be really fitting for both of us. And I want to jump right in. Uh, Tell us about yourself and the work that you do. Oh, Nina. First, I want to say thank you for having me on here. I absolutely love your podcast um, and, and this whole idea about supporting mothers and motherhood through your voice is amazing. By the way, my favorite influencer, I told my husband the other day, I have just bought something because an influencer on Instagram told me to. <laughs> it was the first time I've ever done this. So this is the first time? First time ever. So I oh my actually God, had some jeans you. that you recommended and I was like, oh, these look so good. So yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it was it was funny. I've I've never done that before. But thank you for having me on on your show here. Um, my name is Selma, and I'm a psychotherapist. I live in Florida, and I'm a mom of two. I have a three year old and a two year old, and they keep me super busy. When I began studying like mental health in general, I was really drawn to this field because, uh, well, initially, like all the immigrant kids of the world, I was going to become either an attorney or a doctor. And when those stars weren't aligning for me, um, I, and not because of like studies, they were just they weren't just aligning because I wasn't interested in that. Um, I ended up going to Bosnia our home country, right? I I ended up going to Bosnia in 2005 and I stayed there for six months. That was the longest I've stayed there since leaving initially. And I volunteered at a um, research center where they studied women who were like widows after the war. And I recognized that we were not addressing intergenerational trauma that happened to us from generations on and how it affected our current mental state, but also how it served as a uh, survival mechanism and wisdom for us um, in, in our motherhood role. So 
that's a little bit about me. I feel like that was long-winded and you're welcome to edit any of that out. <laughs> no, that was great. I I could listen to you talk about yourself all day long. So how did you, why did you go into psychotherapy? When Did you do your studies here in the U.S. after? I did, yeah, yeah. So I took a semester off um, right before I graduated with my bachelor's. Um, I, I call it like an early life crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced, I was 19 and I sort of lost my identity. I didn't know where the heck I belonged. I didn't know whether I belonged to this like Western American culture. And did I want to embrace all of that? But then I felt this like really guilty, like, but I come from Bosnia. What's happening with me? Like, that's who I am. Those are my roots. And, um, like any Bosnian parent, instead of sending me to therapy, they sent me back to Bosnia to like reconnect with my roots. <laughs> I love it. And um, while in Bosnia, I remember one of my aunts just approaching me and saying, hey, I don't want you to just spend your time not connecting to people in your environment here. So since you speak English, why don't you go to this research center and help them translate um, and and help them conduct this research? And this is where sort of my desire to be in the mental health field was born. I wasn't going to become a therapist. I was going to become a psychiatrist. And quickly realized that psychiatry and the way it's practiced in the United States was not it for me. I wanted more hands-on practical tools to help families, especially mothers and um, survivors of of very serious uh, traumas. So that's sort of how I fell into it. It was all by accident. I love that. I, I would not call that an accident. I would for sure say that that was meant for you. And I'm so glad you're here. Oh, um, me too. So I, this is a surprise question for you. I didn't tell you this one was coming. I'm going to start asking all of my guests this question moving forward, because I think we all have seasons of where we are thriving and seasons where we are not thriving. I want to hear right now in your life in this moment, what are you thriving in? I am thriving in motherhood and it's, this is a really hard thing for me to describe. I'm still learning words for it. I am thriving in my ability to meet my children's emotional needs the way they weren't met for me. And I think this has a lot to do with me understanding intergenerational stuff that's happened to all the matriarchs in my family, to my mother, and how a lot of their wounds affected my relationship with my mother and how now I hold um, a lot of the, the strength to eliminate a lot of those pains from my relationship with my children. So I love seeing motherhood blossom. It's not perfect by any means, ways, shape, or form. But I love seeing myself implement the things I talk about and for them to work 30% of the time. <laughs> Just 30% of the time, which is, you know, what all research and attachment says, if we're good enough, that's all that matters. And someone asked one of these research people, like, what is good enough? And someone said, you know, 30% of the time, if you can meet your children's needs, 30% of the time, everybody will be fine. So I stick to that without putting a lot of that pressure on myself. 
I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I knew this fact, but I always forget about it. Like I always, you know, mom guilt, like you always think you need to do better and you're not doing good enough. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. What hey, is that was one- a cool question. Oh, well, hold on. It's not done. Oh, <laughs> what is one thing that you want to work on right now? Oh, so I, being a therapist, I'm also in therapy and I'm also going through a very deep training with the wonderful Dr. Gabor Mate. And I'm learning a lot about my inability to love myself the way I deserve to be loved by myself. So I I don't know, I'm going to speak in general terms here, but I think many of us grow up with the idea that we have to be liked by others in order to be likable ourselves. And I am growing into taking care of me the way that I want to take care of me. And if that doesn't align with society or um, cultural expectations, then so be it. So I'm learning to grow into me and love myself the way I want that, not the way I was told to, if that makes sense. Oh my God, totally. And I think we can all relate to that. That is so good. All right, let's. I know. All right, let's jump in. What the heck is even intergenerational trauma and why is it so important to talk about? Yeah, so intergenerational trauma is um, a concept that came up maybe about 100 years ago and has really been studied by the help of researchers who are conducting research on um, individuals who have survived the Holocaust. And it's basically the transmission of trauma from one generation to the next. When trauma is left unhealed, it doesn't just disappear. It, It moves into a different space. And sometimes those spaces can be our culture. They can be the way we parent, the way we see the world, the way uh, we see ourselves. But research is now showing that trauma actually can be passed down through DNA. And I am not an expert on this, so I am going to share with you how I understand the DNA structure and how it like passes down very quickly with you. So it really um, is in its first stages of of being understood. And um, our DNA can change shape um, and, and the way it expresses itself based on what our ancestors went through. So for example, um, I will use the Holocaust survivors. The way they express stress, for example, is affected by their trauma. And then when you study their offspring, the way their offspring expresses stress is very similar to them. Um, So when we look at the way the DNA is structured inside their bodies, we're noticing that stress levels and stress hormones are um, elevated in their offspring as well. So if people want to become more familiar with this, I would say that um, looking up intergenerational trauma and DNA changes is going to be really helpful. Um, The portion that I focus on is the intergenerational passing of trauma through parenting. Um, in like, I, I believe in conscious parenting. I practice gentle parenting. I am very focused on connection-based parenting and my parenting and, and the things that I, I, I help my clients with. It is hard for us to listen uh, to the advice of remain emotionally regulated yourself or don't yell at your child 
when you have a lot of wounds inside of you where you may have received a lot of the yelling and the dysregulation from your parent and your parent from their parent. And at some point, this becomes like culturally acceptable, right? Like look at spanking. We know spanking is not okay for children in any way, shape or form, but there are still people who say, well, I got spanked and I turned out fine. Um, and, and this is because it's become culturally acceptable to see children in this way um, that they're not trying their best every single time, right? Every single day. So I focus on the parenting aspect. When we can heal our wounds, then gentle parenting, conscious parenting, attached parenting, all of this becomes a lot easier for us. I love that. Can you give me an example, like a real life example of an intergenerational trauma that would have been passed down, maybe your own or someone else's or. Yeah. Yeah. So I can actually speak on something myself, for example, you know, there are many systems at play given that I am an immigrant. I'm also a refugee. So there are different systems at play here where us immigrant kids had to sort of figure life out on our own for quite a lot of our childhood. But when we talk about intergenerational parenting, I will say that the generational trauma that may have been passed down from generation to generation in my family is a lot of grief. So both of my grandmothers, for example, have lost children either in the childbirth experience itself or very shortly after childbirth. And I, I relate this to you know the poverty level and the lack of um, available medicines and vaccination at the time. But this grief was never processed. This grief was never addressed. This grief just sort of lingered. And I do believe that it affected their ability to connect with their children. When there's a lot of grief a mother holds, her inability to connect to her children and meet her children's needs um, in the way that their child needs to have her meet them is going to be hindered. So this affected, and I will use my mother's side of the family, this affected my mother's ability to see myself or my brother in a way of a nurturing way. There was always like a distance, a very coldness in her way and in, in her parenting. And then of course you add the war to it all and you add the immigration and the refugee status and all of this uh, on top of that. There's a lot of stressors. So when I sit down and I talk to my mom right now and I tell her, hey mom, I really don't want you to say this to my child and say this could be put a feeling on my child. So my three and a half year old will do something and she will say, grandma isn't happy that you do that. You make grandma really sad. So I'll go to her and say, mom, please don't say this to him. You're responsible for your feelings. He's responsible for his. And initially she will look at me and say, what are you talking about? And then when we sit down and I explain to her, you know, how attachment works and, and, and how trauma, you know, maybe passed down. And, and when I bring up her experience with her mom, she sits there and says things like, well, I wish this was available when I was parenting you because things would have been very different. So that would be an example of intergenerational trauma in my family, the grief my grandmother experienced and how it separated her from being nurturing toward her children and how this then in turn became a normal way my mom parented and how now we're together breaking that cycle with my children, me more aware 
and her with a lot more experience, obviously. She's parenting 30-some-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate with my mom, too. And now that you bring that up, I never really thought about grief being one of the traumas and definitely have that, too, especially I feel like in that place of the world, Eastern Europe, um, with all the wars and everything. Curious, though, uh, most of my listeners are not you and I, and they're not refugees and immigrants. What are some common intergenerational traumas you hear from just like regular old people? So I will talk about a very common one that I used to work in the child welfare setting here in the United States. And I, um, I find that a lot of the very common things that in the everyday life that, that, that get missed is the spanking of children, is the uh, yelling at our children. Most of all, it is the severe abuses that we don't talk about. Spanking, for example, is an intergenerational trauma that gets passed down until someone realizes, okay, spanking a child is not what we should be doing. Um, and spanking started with just violence, being around violence um, and, and being exposed to violence. So when we talk about intergenerational passing of behaviors that are traumatic, that would be a really good um, example. A lot of time, it can also be um, the way we talk to ourselves, the way we talk to our children. A lot of times it can be um, eating disorders, for example, as well, like moms uh, and dads who are preoccupied with the way their weight or the way that they see uh, themselves may pass on insecurities onto their children that are um, not very healthy for them and may create a lot of a lot of insecurities in them. And it's sort of like a cycle that continues to yeah. repeat. Yeah. So it sounds like it's basically just over and over again, breaking cycles that you were raised by that your parents didn't know. Like me personally, I talk about this all the time on my social media. My mom never got to work through her trauma. She never got to work through anything. I'm the first one in my family to ever go to therapy. And we have a big family on both sides. And you and I know as Bosnian uh, refugee immigrants that therapy, you know, as soon as you mentioned that you're in therapy, they're like, what are you crazy? You know, like it's just frowned down. Why upon. do you it's, need that? Yeah. It's not, it's not really accepted anyways. So as far as breaking cycles, I find myself, I'm constantly thinking about the cycles that I need to break. For me, it's yelling. Yelling is a huge one. And then just you bringing up the weight comment. I find myself internally talking about weight and this and that, because I feel like weight and body image has been a huge part of my life growing up. That's all my family talked about. So I always catch myself around my kids. I never want to talk about bodies and weight around them. So would you say that that's an example of breaking that cycle? Yeah. When you say to yourself, I am not going to yell and you actively don't yell at your children and you try to actively not yell at your children and you apologize when you do yell and, and you apologize in a way that you, where you take accountability for your behavior, that's breaking a cycle. Breaking a cycle isn't just informing yourself about it. It's not about being perfect in it either. It's about recognizing what's wrong and then doing something about it. So the same thing with weight, not talking about your weight in a negative way 
to your children or your body in a negative way or anybody's body in a negative way, but just simply stating facts about bodies. That's a arm, that's a leg, that's a belly, that's a big body, that's a small body, that's um, a white body, that's a black body. Those are all um, ways that we are breaking those very toxic cycles. Um, and, and being able to support them through things that they will hear in their environment, because unfortunately, not everybody is doing this work and our children will be exposed to things. So giving them the room to come to us to be their safe haven, that's the biggest cycle breaking that we can do to be their safe haven, to know that no matter what, mommy, daddy, um, my parents, they have me, they're going to keep me safe and they're going to help me organize Whatever it is I'm thinking, whatever it is I'm feeling, and they're going to allow me to explore this on my own terms with their support. Yeah. So being available for your children without judgment is a form of cycle breaking. I love that. So how long does it take to break a cycle? Is it like a forever thing? And how do I know I'm not? I'm always paranoid. Like, am I passing on some type of trauma to my children? And I know there's always little teas and this and that. But how do you know you're on the right track? How do you know you need to keep doing it? When do you know that you've broken it? Is there even such thing? Mm -hmm. So whenever a client, for example, asks me that question, I say, the mere fact that you've just asked me that question lets me know that you're on the right, on the right path. Here's the honest truth. We can't break all the cycles for our children because we're not aware of all the things that we're doing. And who knows where research is going to be 20 years from now and the parenting information they're going to have at that time. What I think we need to focus more on is not so much the cycle breaking, but more on the relationship with our children, the connection that we form. Because when we recognize that we have a safe and secure, um, when they've developed a safe and secure attachment to us, and we have a strong safe and secure bond toward them, um, it creates apologizing. It creates a space for um, really brave and safe communication and really brave and safe conversations with them. So to take off all the pressure, let's not, I would suggest, let's not focus on, you know, am I breaking cycles? Am I doing enough? Am I doing it right? But more on how are you doing with feeling connected to your baby? And how are you taking care of you? Because your mental health is a direct link to their mental health. And when you are taking care of you, you're also inadvertently taking care of them. Um, and you're creating that safe and, and beautiful connection with them, which I want to say that again, the, the trauma healing is not safety. Like when we find... Um, when we want to break a cycle, it's not about like eliminating the cycle. Trauma healing is creating connection because trauma takes away our ability to connect and to feel safe with others. So when we can introduce that to our children, I think that's more than enough to say, oh, wow, okay, we're doing this. This is beautiful. My kid is not afraid of me and I love that. I am not afraid of me and I love that. And that peace, the connection is really important. So it almost sounds like rewiring or rerouting the cycle, really, because 
there's always going to be that trauma that you grew up with and have in your parents, but then you can reroute that cycle for your children in their future. I love that. And I love that you said that simply being aware and having a goal to break a cycle and do better for your kids is already breaking the cycle because I have moms in my DMs every single day. I want to do gentle parenting. I don't know how to start. I don't know what to do. How I, I've been doing this, this, and this. How can I do better? And I'm not an expert. I just know what I know from my own personal experience. But I love that you've just confirmed to us that simply taking that step is breaking the cycle and on the path to success. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So as a mother yourself, you talked about breaking cycles, and I want to hear about your simple tips and tricks for women listening on how to start breaking the cycle or how to figure out what your traumas are, especially to those who lit- like don't have access to therapy or, or you know, doctor that specializes in this. Yeah. So cycle breaking is really simple, but our brains make it really hard. That's I've learned that through many of the mentors I've, I have um, and all these wonderful teachers. Cycle breaking is really not so much about what it is that we do, but more so about internal internally feeling secure and safe within ourselves. And becoming aware of our own triggers is really important. So may I share an example? Um, personal example, would that be okay in this part? Yes, please do. Okay. So for example, a couple of months ago, my my son is into throwing objects right now, like everything gets thrown. And I remember having a phase like that and I would be scolded and probably spanked for it. And, um, you know, the switch, I would have to go get one. (laughs) Yeah, Pick your own. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And I would always get that skinny one, but it would always tie around my leg too. Oh, I never learned. Not Um, even funny, but here we are laughing. (laughs) It's yeah, it's really, really sad, but we, we laugh because it's uncomfortable and our nervous system doesn't know what to do with that. It's really heartbreaking. Um, so I remember getting into a lot of trouble verbally and physically by my mother. And, you know, when I, a couple of months ago, my son, takes a small rock and he throws it at me and hits me on my head. And when I tell you that every single Adam cell in my body wanted to get up, scream, yell, and fret, like exert all of this anger and pain I felt um, at this three-year-old little body and nervous system, it took everything out of me not to do that. I have found something that works really well for me. When I recognize that I am like boiling up in this anger and this inability to control my voice, I go chew on an ice cube. Like I will go find an ice cube in my freezer and I will chew on it and it melts really fast. And the cold sensation that hits my mouth and my teeth, like prevents me from continuing in the spiral of of anger. And I take a deep breath. I give it a couple of minutes, sometimes five minutes. 
And then I'll approach my child who recognized that he's hit me and now he with the stone and he's worried and he's scared and he was like waiting for my reaction. I calmly approached him and in his fear of what he had done, um, he had peed himself. He had peed uh, his little, we were potty learning right now. So I went up to him and he immediately said, mama, I'm so sorry. He said, honey, I know, I know you did not mean to do that, but throwing a rock is not safe. When you throw a rock, it hits mommy's head. And I know you're scared right now. So let's make sure that scared has enough space to be scared right now. And you know that I love you and we're going to learn to do better next time. Um, And the conversation ended at that point. He clung on to me. He his little body rested on top of mine. And as soon as it did that, it felt like both of our nervous systems just took a deep breath. Like we just needed that connection. Um, and he talks about that rock. He talks about that rock today, to this day. And we'll say things like, oh, Adam, it's his name. Adam threw a rock at mama and that hurt mama. And that's not safe. Adam will not do it again. Um, so we talk about it and we bring it up and we talk about safety, everything through the lens of safety. So I'm bringing that example to say uh, my experience as a child would have been very different and th- than my son's. And this is cycle breaking. This is me becoming aware of my big emotions that they did not need to be on my child. And me scolding him and yelling at him at that in that moment wouldn't have done anything about teaching him about you know, don't throw a rock. It would have taught him be afraid of mom. So we reversed that. We handled that, I think, a little bit differently. Yeah. I find it so interesting when people say, how dare you let your child act like that? I would have done this, this, and this. And most of the time you're reacting to your child with your own triggers and your own traumas, such as for me, yelling, and just being like verbally loud and rude. So I find that why would you respond to your child like that if you don't want them to act like that? And then the next time you turn around, your child is yelling at you or being Mm -hmm. rude. And you're like, wait, they heard that from me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I find it very interesting when people argue that, especially with you and I both know like little kids, Uh, little toddlers, they have barely any prefrontal cortex at Mm -hmm. all. So they have Mm -hmm. no impulse control. Throwing is normal. Thank you for sharing that example. I have a million Mm -hmm. examples just like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think all moms do. And and it's okay. I think we've stepped away from allowing parents to be parents, honestly. Like we have forced a lot of expectations on the dyad between a mother and a child, a father and a child. Uh, we have forced a lot of expectations on mothers, on children, and the way we should behave and how we should do. And we have stepped away from just letting us connect to each other, you know, and, and that's a whole nother topic <laughs> that we can get into. But I am a firm believer that no parent wants to hurt their child. A parent hurts their child because they're repeating cycles of trauma and hurt. And when this happens, they're behaving in a way that they think and they see the world through um, as right. And, And that's the pain of it all. Yeah. Thank you. That was such a deep topic on intergenerational trauma. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. If somebody wanted to find a therapist that specializes in intergenerational, that's like a really hard to say a bunch of times in a row. (laughs) 
Uh, intergenerational trauma. If somebody wants someone that specializes in that, how do they find them? Or do most therapists know to like touch on that? I wish I could say yes. Most therapists know to touch on that, but I will not say that, unfortunately. Um, I think if you are looking for someone who understands intergenerational trauma really well, I would look for someone who is um, equipped with uh, understanding of how the brain works and is aware of how interpersonal neurobiology affects us. So anybody who like mentions maybe Dr. Dan Siegel or Dr. Vanderkolk or Dr. Bruce Perry and Dr. Um, I just named a whole lot of men. I wish there was like, we need more female energy in this space, <laughs> feminine energy. Um, but anyone who is under who understands the body and the nervous system will bring up some intergenerational stuff in, in their work, trauma work with you. Um, and also don't be shy to tell your therapist or ask the therapist, hey, what is your knowledge on intergenerational trauma? How, where have you been trained? Uh, what is your training? Can I look this training up? Because I am looking for something very specific. Unfortunately, many therapists get like the mainstream training um, and also many of us do go through additional trainings, but you have to ask the questions so that like your insurance company doesn't send you to a generalist. Yeah. Um, go to someone who specializes in, in what it is that you need. Awesome. Thank you. And I know that you also share a ton of free resources on your social media. I would love for you to share with my listeners where they can find you and how they can connect with you if they need to. Yeah, so I am. Uh, I primarily speak to Balkan women like you and I, Nina. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that a lot of people resonate with a lot of the things that I share and talk about. Um, so my Instagram handle is Balkan Mama Therapy, and um, I'm primarily active on there. Not as cool and as uh, involved and just phenomenal as you are, but I, I share a lot of. Um, a lot of information on how intergenerational trauma may pass down and affect the parent-child relationship, specifically to the Balkan region. Yeah. And tell me about, did you say you were writing a children's book? I want to hear about that and <laughs> what that's about. Yeah. Yeah. So I did write a children's book and it's coming out on May 28th. Like this is crazy that this yeah. even happened. I remember when I had my son, I became very obsessed with parenting him in the matriarch way of our culture. Like I wanted the, the skin to skin. I wanted the um, breastfeeding, the holding, all the things that through our matriarchy we were taught to do, but then through trauma, we were kind of forced to forget. So with that, I had this like thought, oh my gosh, how do I tell my kid, why are we in the States and why do we speak a different language at home? And like, how do you tell a little one about war and being a refugee? So I reached out to a couple of colleagues who had written like books and they were like, oh, you don't need to write a book. Just write a children's book. Tell a story. And I wrote a story. I had it edited and it's illustrated and it's coming out May 28th. And, and it's this beautiful story about, from a child's perspective, about how to talk about these really difficult topics, especially with everything going on in the world right now with, you know, how re-triggering a lot of things can be watching what's happening in Ukraine right now. Yeah. 
I love that. Thank you. And I will definitely be linking all of that below. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And I hope you have a good day. Thank you. You too. It's actually one of my goals to meet Selma in real life because I feel like she's my life twin. I love her. She's so brave. I look up to everything she is. And I'm so excited she came on my podcast today. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a review. And if you like me and all my stuff, then follow me on Instagram at Balkanina at Mama Knows Podcast. And let's talk again next week.